Love Talk Radio. Well, hey, St. Louis Cardinal fans, this is Michael Miles, one of the editors at Redbird Ranch. We are so excited that you are joining us on this episode number one of season number two of our official Redbird Ranch podcast. So great to be back for a second season, and I am really thrilled to be joined tonight by the incomparable Larry Levin. How are you, Larry? Well... I'll I'll assume you mean incomparable in a good way, Michael, and thank you very much. I'm doing great. Um, it was a balmy 80 degrees in St. Louis today, so a nice long dog walk and made me feel more like baseball season is just on the verge. I love it. And, yes, absolutely incomparable in both the positive and the negative, I can assure you. <laughs> And holding a very strong flame up to your bright candle, we are also joined tonight by Dan Campbell. Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Hey, everybody. Uh, great to be back. I'm excited to start season two with this prestigious and insufferable group. Uh, it was a balmy 45 in Chicago today, so I also took the dog for a long walk and got excited for baseball. Well, I can tell you guys, it is currently 70 degrees in the bluff city of Memphis, Tennessee, and um, it looks like this is going to be the warmest it's going to be in the next couple of days as a cold front's moving in tomorrow. So it should progressively dip down and get colder. But speaking of colder, we all have suffered through a very insufferable and painfully insufferable St. Louis Cardinals offseason. Just to kick us off, let's talk about, first, what I'd like to hear from each one of you is, what is the greatest move, in your opinion, that was made this offseason? And granted, that's not a very long list to pick from. And what is the greatest move that was missed this offseason? Just to get us going, just to get our juices flowing, let's start with you, Dan. Field those two questions, if you would. Well, I'm I'm not going to take Ozuna because it's the obvious answer. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a different answer as to what I thought was the best move. And it's really two moves. But trading Grichik and Piscotty and actually getting controllable, you know, decent upside assets in return, I think was the biggest move outside of Ozuna that was made this offseason. Other than that, the biggest miss, for me, was not signing uh, and still not signing a Greg Holland, for example, or taking advantage of any one of the other premier late-inning relievers who signed for a couple years and, you know, 15 to 20 million bucks. So missing out on the relief market and instead going with a Gregerson and a couple of other internal options or, you know, counting on Bud Norris to replicate his one half season of success as a reliever, 
is a little bit of a disappointment and ultimately a miss for me. So those are my my two. I understand my first one's a bit of a cop-out, but so is saying Ozuna, which is what Larry's going to say as I pass it to him. Well, since you've shamed me appropriately, I won't. Um, but the um, yeah, it's 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 too obvious. So let's talk about something else, uh, kind of a tangent, which is the bringing on board of uh, Jose Otendo and Willie McGee. Um, you know, Jose, um, you know, is such a um, such a great guy in terms of fundamental work ethic and expectation that it will be great to see what that brings in terms of day-to-day on-the-field success for the Cardinals. We've really fallen off of the so-called Cardinal way in in a variety of different um, aspects of the team over the last couple years. And, you know, and for to have somebody like Jose, who we've missed enormously uh, with the organization at the major league level, um, is, I think could make a significant difference. And we have some guys who are already really fine defensive players. I mean, Jed Jerko had one of the best defensive players of any infielder in the National League last year. But even he could stand to learn from somebody uh, with the extraordinary teaching ability of Okenda. And then, you know, the question mark with Willie McGee is, you know, the Cardinals, and especially Mike Matheny, seem to totally eschew the speed game. You know, so, you know, does bringing Willie in mean they simply want to teach people how to go first to third better or get a better jump or is this a sign that they're going to really try and elevate speed as part of the Cardinal offense um, this year uh, above and beyond where it's been in recent years. I, for one, sure as hell hope so. Uh, we do not have a team with overall slow team speed this year. Um, we may not be the uh, speediest team in the major leagues, but we have some guys who can motor and I'd sure like to see us take advantage of it. Um, you know, I, I have said, and we've talked about this offline, but I sure share Dan's um, feeling about missing the reliever market. Hopefully that's something we can we can rectify before the end of spring training, and it's something we should talk about later in terms of the roster because, you know, we've seen some comments from management in recent days that they're feeling comfortable with uh, with the roster and, I think that's something we should address in a in a broader fashion. You know, you can always leave it to Larry to push the envelope, break the rules, talk about something that's lower on the agenda. You know, I just can always believe in you, Larry, to do that for us. So thank Who's you so much. For you, Michael. <laughs> I'm telling you, you you really do a nice job. So <laughs> my take on this, you guys, is that the greatest pickup. And it's it's really going along with what Larry started to talk about, and that is the idea of the pickup of a different coach. And honestly, picking up Mike Maddox, I think, is going to be a a gigantic turnaround for this team. Um, I do agree with everything Larry said about Okendo. I'm so glad to see him back. I, I agree with the statements you made about Willie McGee. I think that's going to help dramatically, but I really think that Mike Maddox is going to be an engine of change for this organization. Now, the greatest myth, and and I know that both of you will just come after me for this statement, but the greatest (laughs) myth, the greatest myth is not getting Giancarlo Stanton. 
and not because I think that John Carroll Stanton was what was needed for the Cardinals to be great, but I think that the Cardinals missed their opportunity to make a very large splash and a very loud statement. And that, I'm afraid, is going to come back to bite us. That being said, not getting him could also be a win. So that's just my take on those things. But let's move on. Uh, let's jump into that lineup conversation because everything that I think we're going to talk about tonight is really going to be driven from that. And what I'd love to hear each one of you tell us is, is your idea of what, with the makeup that we currently have, what is the best lineup and, and, and or what changes would you make to have the best lineup? Let's start with you, Larry. We, um, you know, I just, I just had a nice back and forth with our colleague Christian online relative to Matt Carpenter because he drives a lot of this discussion. You know, we, there's, been this, uh, there's been this feeling that Carp can only bat first, that that's where he's most comfortable, which is interesting, and I think to some extent the stats, you know, support him, but, but he continues to say, you know, I'll go anywhere that helps the team bat. So, so from my perspective, while Christian thought Carp should lead off, I really had a different take and even a different take than the team or anyone else really had. I, I'd like to see – you know, Tommy Pham second, where the team is talking about Marcel Azuna batting third to get him the power as early and often as possible. And then Carp, the lefty, sitting behind Ozuna in the leadoff spot. You know, Carp has a pretty darn good um, career slug. Um, you know, he's not the biggest homer hitter in the world, but he's a major doubles hitter. Um, his batting average has gone down a little bit, but his on base certainly hasn't. He's drawn tons of walks. And I think sandwiching you know, a lefty with great line drive power between um, Ozuna at, at the end of three hole and then either a DeYoung or Jerko in the in the five hole, the other one betting in the six hole, I hope, um, you know, would make a huge difference. Um, then I think you have Molina and probably the team. I don't want to go back and forth too much about Colton Wong just because I think the team tends to see him as an eight-hole hitter. I could see him higher up in the order – uh, again, providing a lefty presence between a couple of righties, but I don't want to dwell on it too much because I don't think the team is seeing it that way. So to me, it looks like Fowler, Pham, Ozuna, Carpenter, uh, Jerker, or, or DeYoung in, in, or flip-flop, um, and then followed by probably Molina and, and Long. What do you think, Dan? Well, I, I like what you said there for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, Carpenter does historically have a pretty good slug. I, w I would take issue with you saying he's a doubles machine. I would say he used to be a doubles machine, and he's no, not so more yeah. anymore. But, you know, he has hit, you know, 28-plus homers. Uh, he's always in the 20 range. He's been the Cardinals' leader in home runs, so I like that. I also like it for another reason. If somehow <laughs> the Cardinals were to go 1-2-3, Fowler, Pham, and Ozuna, and not get on base – at all and make three outs, then you have Carpenter leading off the next inning, which is oh, almost like getting lead off again. Uh, so I do like him in the four hole. Uh, I don't like it as much as my, my lineup, which I'm going to tell you about now. My lineup uh, is sort of the CMS, the Christian May Suzuki approach, I think, um, although we may have just a couple players flip-flopped. I would have Carpenter at lead off, Pham second, Fowler third, Ozuna fourth, then Jorko, then 
or, and when I say Jorco, I mean for everyone listening, Jorco slash Jose Martinez. And I do think Jose Martinez is going to emerge as a starter on this team early in the season. But we can come back to that. After the Jorco Martinez spot, I have DeYoung, Molina, Wong, and then the pitcher's spot. Now let me just give you a couple of tidbits as to why. We all know Carpenter is the has been the best leadoff hitter in the entire major leagues when he's in that spot. Let's not mess with a good thing. I want to keep him there just because he's the best at that. But it's not just him. I don't want to move Pham from two because I love Pham's speed, ability to hit to the opposite field, and his on-base at two. He's also got enough pop to drive in that leadoff hitter if that high on-base guy gets on base. I love him there. So I don't want to mess with him, and I think most people agree. If Pham's not second, he's third. So he should be one of the two spots. Now, why Fowler third? That's the real question. Fowler does not have anywhere near the career slugging as Carpenter. He hit a career-high 18 home runs last year, I believe. It was his career-high. Right. Um, but what he showed is that career-high slugging in fewer games, and his approach changed. His approach changed from just like a trend or sort of getting on base and jump-starting the offense to being a production guy. And I think if we were to sort of annualize his production over a full season, and I understand that the guy never really has played full seasons before, I, I get that. If that's but if we were to take his approach of all last year and have him play the full year, and the guy just came up with clutch production all year long, be it home runs, doubles, or even clutch RBI singles, he showed a knack for driving and runs, and I really liked it. And the reports from spring training now that he has shown up to camp is that he's added some muscle. I think he's embracing, I'm going to be the right fielder, and I'm going to be the number three hitter on this team. And his mentor, Barry Bonds, uh, say what you will about Barry, but great ball mind and hitter, always told Fowler that he would be a number three hitter. That was his potential. I think Fowler believes that. I think he's most comfortable being a producer on this team in this type of lineup. Remember, he didn't have to do that for Chicago because they had a couple of big boppers right down the middle of the lineup. And he needs to be more of a producer on this team. So I like setting his mind and framing out his, his, uh, his work in this lineup as a run producer. I think he's up for the challenge. He showed, he showed sparks of it last year. And he can really be that guy who's a high on base guy but also produces with big home runs and a lot of RBIs. Uh, hitting behind Carpenter and Pham. So I like him number three, and then I like Ozuna. When, if they all take a walk, which is possible, it's more likely that the three of those guys take a walk than, than the lineup going one, two, three in an inning. Then Ozuna's, it's it's time to set a season, Cardinals single season record in Grand Slams. That's what I want to see, baby. Line it up. I want Grand Slams all day. I want Big Mac land be shooting Big Macs onto the field. That's what I want to see. And I think Ozuna hitting fourth, cranking grand slams with, with team OBP in front of him is, is the ticket. So that's my take. Don, yeah, the games it, are already too long. We don't want Big Macs on the field. I think that the two of you are foolish. That being said, I agree with both of you. What I think needs to happen in the lineup, and Dan makes better points than you do, Larry, so I'm going to give him more of the credit here and more of the game show points. Doc, you have turned into Tony Reale from around the horn, just so you know. 
I'm telling you, that's true. That, and I actually teased that about the new season. There's going to be some around-the-horn-like points-giving. Um, the, the reason that Dan gets the most points here is because he talked about uh, Jose Martinez. And I have to tell you, I completely agree with you. I think he is the starter. I think he is the one who will be able to spell the end of Matt Carpenter. And um, I think that he will be hitting – uh, like you said, I think he could actually hit in so many places in the lineup. I think he could hit in the second spot. I think he could hit in the third spot, quite honestly. He certainly has the power. He just has to change his approach. But I love what you said, Dan, about Dexter Fowler bulking up so that he can hit in the three spot and really produce in that way. Uh, additionally, I, I like what you said about some of the lower hitters namely DeYoung, and I think moving DeYoung down a little in the lineup this season can help take a lot of that stress off of him as he approaches what would be a true sophomore year, make sure that it's not a sophomore slump, that sort of thing. And I think that's really critical. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me the most about the St. Louis Cardinals, and I railed on it all last year, probably will continue to rail on it this year, and that is the fact that too often the Cardinals approach a game unsure of their own identity. And let me expound on that a little. Matheny is not smart enough to know what type of team he has. Now, that may change this year with the people who is around him. And what I mean by that is, if you want Fowler to hit in the three spot, you have to ask yourself, do we have a home run hitter like an Albert Pujols hitting in the three spot? Probably not. But you have somebody who can drive and run, so your approach to games needs to be slightly different. And I, from what we've seen in the last couple of years, I, I'm not convinced that Matheny can or does understand that sort of thing. That's not to say that it will not be different this year because we have Okendo back. We have other people who are capable of saying, wait, we need to really define who and what we are. And that, I think, is really critical in terms of making the lineup. Um, so before we go any further, you guys, let's take a short break. First one of the second season right now. You are listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Thanks for sticking with us. You are listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast here on Blog Talk Radio, where we talk all things St. Louis Cardinals, and we have kicked off with this episode our second season of the podcast. I'm Michael Miles. I am joined by Dan Campbell and Larry Levin. Great to have you guys with me. We have thus far solved all of the St. Louis Cardinals' problems from the offseason. We have thus far shown Mike Matheny how to make great lineups. So, in other words, to our listeners, you can thank us as the Cardinals will win the National League Central now. You know, guys, in talking about the players that we have on the team, one of the things that the St. Louis Cardinals have that some other teams do not have um, is a gluttony of pitchers. I'd like to just toss that idea out there. I'd like for you guys to talk to us about the starting rotation as well as any of the other names that will be interesting to you to watch in, this, in spring training and some of your predictions as we go into the season. So let's start with you, Dan. What do you think about the Cardinals 
plethora of pitching? Well, as per most off-seasons past, the Cardinals entered into the off-season with sort of a stance when it comes to at least starting pitching and really to relief pitching too. Um, And then they were total hypocrites with their actions. So here's what I mean. The Cardinals consistently said when basically rebuffing rumors about pursuing top free agent starting pitchers or top trade candidates on the trade market, they said, well, listen, we really like our young guys and we don't want to block those guys. So we're not going to make a big deal for some other person and pay them a lot of money or trade a bunch of prospects because we don't want to block our really talented young guys who, by the way, did I mention we really like Okay, we get it. We get your point. But then what do we do? We go out and sign people who will block the young guys. It's a very odd position to take. And instead of saying that we're blocking the young guys, we're simply talking about signing these people as insurance. Okay, I I get it. I've been to spin classes too. (laughs) So you can't say I don't want to block a young guy to justify not trading for a Chris Archer and then go sign a Miles Mikolas to a two-year deal. Well, you're blocking some young guy for two years. What you're really saying is we don't really think that these people are ready or they don't. we don't have enough faith in their reliability to cover enough innings. As if that weren't enough, as some of these free agent starters and other people were falling off the board at sort of bargain bin rates or who are still available. The Cardinals went out and signed Bud Norris as another insurance policy, and in so doing, cut, essentially, he'll go through waivers, we'll see if he clears, a really talented reliever who throws 100 miles an hour in Rowan Wick. And all of that is 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 the rationale that, that I have a problem with. The, the hypocrites that are the St. Louis Cardinals – saying we trust our young guys, and then effectively blocking those people by signing veteran pitchers to major league deals. And not only did they sign veteran pitchers to major league deals to block young players, but they signed veteran pitchers to major league deals that have struggled recently, not the preeminent guys, sort of the bargain bin guys that we've talked about this offseason. So um, – I actually like our rotation. I think that our guys, our young guys that will be given a chance, are going to do well. I have a lot of faith, and I know that I'm in the minority on this site, that Adam Wainwright will have a bounce-back year. I think he may uh, be the comeback player of the year. Uh, That's how good I think he's going to be this year. Um, So I like our rotation. Carlos Martinez is a stud. I know he's inconsistent. Say what you want, but he's consistently among the top pitchers in the National League. And when the time comes, he is our ace, and he can lock it down. Um, I like Waka a lot. I think he made huge strides last year, and he's going to get better this year. Luke Weaver, Larry, and I have gone back and forth on a lot, and um, I've never disagreed with Larry that the guy is a stud. I just hope that he can find consistency and eat up a lot of innings. But I like the rotation, and I like it a lot. I'm interested to see what we have in Miles Mikolas. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about the bullpen, although I think Sam Tui-Vailala is, is a stud and is going to have a great year. Um, I don't like our additions that much. I don't like the Bud Norris edition. I'm not excited about the Gregerson edition uh, for, for the role they purportedly were signed for, which is back-end relief or insurance starter. So, uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm intrigued by the moves we made. I'm interested to see how they work out. But I think I'm, I'm a little upset with the brass because we didn't make a run at some of these guys who were cheaper. I thought Nicasio did great here, and he, he signed for shekels with the Mariners. Um, I think that's something we should have jumped on, absolutely. Um, and he wanted to be back here, and we didn't do it. Uh, so, you know, guys like Darvish going to the Cubs is one thing that's big dollars. I get it. But there are other starters out there that whose market has plummeted, and it's bad business practice to not be interested at a certain price in those starters. And instead we settled for guys were, who aren't really known quantities anymore and who we could get on the cheap. So I'm a little disappointed in what happened because my expectations were violated, but I'm intrigued to see what we have, and I think pitching will be this team's strength. Larry, what do you think? Um, this is where I'm going to win my points back. Um, the the um, a few weeks ago, Sporting News did a did a rating of uh, of our division by position. They did every uh, field position, then they did starters, and both in terms of the top of the rotation and the depth, and then, then they did the uh, relievers, they did the closer, and then followed by the rest of the bullpen. You know, and the Cardinals graded out reasonably well on the depth on both on both ends, the depth of the rotation and the depth of the bullpen. They did not grade out up up top um, on the starters. Certainly they're, they're, they're better than what Milwaukee's got now, especially with Jimmy Nelson being hurt. But, but, you know, the depth of the top of the rotation – uh, didn't compare to the Cubs, and then of course they got Darvish, and and now it's a a, a pretty significant imbalance, I could argue. Um, and then on the bullpen, exactly what Dan had said before about about not grabbing a closer either by trade or free agency. I'm just pissed. I'm very upset with this team in terms of its um, stance on pitching. You know, there are several reasons you you know you you draft well and you devote a lot of time to player. Um, uh, identification and development. Obviously, you want to control good young players for six years. You know, obviously, you want to have better young talent than other guys. Obviously, you want the opportunity to be able to make deals. But one thing is abundantly clear. Nobody wins World Series simply with unproven young guys complemented by basically mediocre veteran players. It just doesn't happen. I would challenge anybody on this call or in the audience or anywhere to give me an example of where that has happened. Without the cream of the crop, you know, uh, you're, you're basically not going to be able to compete at the high level. And we see that right now with, you know, the baseball prospectus rankings that have, you know, the, the Cubs a good eight games ahead of the Cardinals based on um, uh, the war levels of the players on the respective teams. And I did an analysis for our site about the war of our team, which, uh, pitchers, which comes out to about fourth in the league. It's not bad, but the point is it could be really, really good, and it could be really good with the addition of a closer who at this point has probably come down in value to be infinitely affordable and one of the decent starters that remain. Now, if we, high, if we signed or traded for a good starter – who would get bumped? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think, and Dan mentioned Weaver, I still think he has an extremely high ceiling. Uh, Carlos Martinez is what I would call a uh, 1B or A-minus kind of um, number one starter. Uh, I like Michael Walker. 
we don't know about either Wainwright or Nicholas. And this is where I'm going to get off the get off the track with Dan. I don't see Adam Wainwright coming back to any level of high competence <clears throat> to where he can be above, at best, a four or five starter. I say that for a couple reasons. I say that because clearly his fastball doesn't have the edge that it did. You know, we've seen him have, you know, year, year plus to develop that uh, velocity again, and he could be fairer. He's 35-36 this year. He's, I just don't think it's going to come back. So in order, it's not to say you can't be successful that way, but you have to reinvent yourself. How do you reinvent yourself? You have to create different velocity spacing between your fastball and your curveball. He's had one of the best curveballs, you know, in the major leagues. He's going to have to throw it at a slower slower pace consistently to get the separation on speed. And, you know, and, you know, is his third pitch is, uh, you know, going to be sufficient for him to, um, you know, make the fastball and the curveball as effective as they need to be. Um, the guy hasn't had a really good season since 2014. I will feed the injuries and the difficulties and the challenges, but it doesn't matter. He still hasn't had a great season for four years. I don't see him having one this year. I love the guy. I, I, he's one of my favorite all-time Cardinals. He's eloquent. He's well-spoken. He's smart. He's funny. He's a great part of the team. I don't see him being um, a useful one, two, or three starter. He might hang on, but ultimately I do see either a trade or a signing or Jack Flaherty or one of the other prospects coming on strong to take one of those spots. Larry, Larry, over under Wainwright's war, 1.9, over or under? Under. Yeah, see, I, I think he's a two-war pitcher this year uh, for you warheads out there, which, by the way, used to be a reference to a popular hard candy and now has turned into something completely different. Doc, what do you think? Over, under, 1.9. Well, or, 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 or Dan, before, before Doc goes on, you know, war is also the band that wrote the great song, Why Can't We Be Friends? Okay, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Okay. Doc, Doc what, what do you think on the over-under? 1.9 war for Wainwright, over or under? You know what? Um, this actually dovetails nicely with, with Larry mentioning war as the band who wrote the song, Why Can't We Be Friends? Because I believe from the things that I have been reading and the things that I have been seeing about Wainwright, I'm going over. <laughs> and yeah, and here's well, we're going to have some fun things to talk about in a few weeks, aren't we? We are drinking the Kool-Aid, Larry. Get some Kool-Aid, my friend. Pull up a chair at yeah, the Kool-Aid bar. We're kicking down walls, screaming, "Oh yeah!" Because we're on the Wainwright train, baby. <laughs> I'm on the now, Greyhound don't get me wrong. I, town. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I, I uh, claiming him to be a number one starter, but. You know, when a person has a personal vendetta to prove the masses wrong, they either do one of two things. They either excel in the efforts of proving everyone wrong and put up great numbers, or they go down in smoke. And in Wainwright's case, that's what we're looking at. And let me tell you that I believe – that the name Adam Wainwright 
was the linchpin for every pitching decision that was made in the offseason. Yes, I believe the front office has the utmost faith in their young guys, and they're very excited about them, and they're very happy about that. And they don't want anyone to come in and block the ascension of the young guys. But I also think that the club doesn't know what they're going to have in Adam Wainwright. And I believe that the bringing in of Miles Mykolas, and by the way, that, that is how you know we were told to pronounce his name. It is Mykolas. Okay. In bringing him in, the Cardinals signaled to the world that they did not think that they have a number five starter, Colas. Then the questions start to surround about Adam Wainwright. What type of pitcher will he be? What sort of help will they need? So that's where they went and they picked up, you know, that's where they have the young guys who can go up in there. And quite honestly, that's why I predicted several days before it actually happened, the Bud Norris pickup. Because Bud Norris, to me, screamed a very inexpensive arm that could spell starting relief, that could spell long relief, that could spell closing options. And ironically, that is exactly what John Mosaic has said as how they are going to use Bud Norris. That Bud Norris is going to get the opportunity to try to start in spring a couple times to see if he can show that he's still got that sort of swagger. He will also be allowed to come out of the pen and take long relief, and he will also have opportunities to come in high-leverage situations at the back of the bullpen. All three of those things were exactly what I predicted, exactly what I wrote about. Now, I'm not saying Bud Norris is a fantastic pitcher or a perfect pickup for the St. Louis Cardinals for 2018, but he does afford you options that the Cardinals need at this time. I think the long-range plan for Adam Wainwright is – if he can hold his own, fantastic. And he comes out of spring training like a roaring lion, lion, trying to prove everyone wrong that he is not finished with his baseball career. If he gets injured, which is probably more likely to happen than anything else, or if he doesn't have stuff anymore, then they have solutions. Then they also can go and get a trade. And make a trade happen. And they can do so because of all these internal solutions they have, because of all these young guys that they have. They have options, and those options are great. But having said that, I am drinking the Kool-Aid. I think Wainwright's going to come and prove us all wrong. And I think his little press conference that he called today, the impromptu press conference, when he called all of the media together around him in Jupiter, Florida, and he made it very clear that he does not want to talk about during the season whether or not he's going to retire after the end of 2018. But he also talked about how, he, how he, he's come to camp having lost weight and how he feels great and how on fire he feels. Now I'm going to add a wrinkle. Wayne Wright, we have yet to see what he's throwing in terms of gas. So we're not sure if he still has the fire to throw a fast enough fastball to offset the curveball to make both of them effective. Ironically, the Cardinals were in attendance today at the showcase of Tim Lincecum. 
Tim Lincecum, from what I was reading today, was hitting 93-94. We last saw of Wainwright last season was the difficulty breaking the 90 barrier with his fastball. Now, we're not really comparing apples to apples, but do not be confused by the fact that the Cardinals were present for the Lincecum showcase. Can I ask you a question, Michael? Also, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, my question is, Gregerson, Norris, Lincecum, Wainwright, maybe, 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 maybe. What are we doing? I mean, we're sitting here with a we're sitting here with a budget below last year's budget, and we're doing a whole lot of what ifs. And we're it's not like we have what ifs piled on top of certainties. We have we have what ifs piled on top of youth. So my question is. If if you want any expectation of success, how do you get it from a bunch of maybes atop a mountain of youth? I'm curious from both of you how that works. I just don't understand it. <clears throat> well, let me let me pose this to you, and maybe it's because I've tried to study, and I mean really study John Mozeliak and the, the words that he says. Because I, as you guys both heard me say, I think he has mastered political speak better than any politician anywhere. I've, I've, I find this to be the question that he had to answer for himself going into the offseason, and that is, <clears throat> in 2018, what is the real likelihood, percentage-based, whatever, however you want to look at it, what is the real likelihood that the St. Louis Cardinals were going to enter 2018 as a true contender against the Cubs? If you had to say that, Larry, what would you have put? Now, don't, don't consider anything today. Consider the end of 2017. What, what would you have said? I would have said they need to make some significant moves. But if they made the significant moves, they would have a very good chance of closing the gap between them and the Cubs. Okay. Then let's play out the scenario that they looked into those moves. And let's play out the scenario that those moves would have required them to give up a lot of the future. Is that something you're willing to make, that decision? Or are you willing, without making it known, are you willing to concede the fight for first place in the NL Central? And by the way, I don't think that's what happened. Don't get me wrong, because I, I really want to at least believe that every front office makes decisions and pushes to be first in their division. I want to believe that. But let's say you concede the first place and you are content to battle for second or third in a wild card spot. Does your, do your activities and does your, um, does your theory change if that's the case? Well, sure it does. But if you're sitting, if you're sitting in a place where you're, you're within grasp of competing for the division and you've added a great deal of uh, revenue to the pot that allows you to compete, and and this goes to your first point, and you have, and I'm curious about Dan's perspective here, where you have a mountain of pitching prospects, so many that it would be impossible if they all panned out for all of them to have a shot at having a meaningful role in the major leagues over the next two or three years. I think, yeah, one of the reasons that you 
stockpile that pitching talent is so that you can, you know, uh, opportunistically move uh, in a in a time where you are able to get either equal to or close to uh, first place in your division. I do believe you should do that. And then when you top, and then when you throw the the revenue add on top of that, approximately 80 million over what they had last year, you know, I think it's a pretty persuasive argument. What do you think, Dan? Well, I don't have much to add because I agree with the good points both of you are making. But I will say that both, I mean, the National League Central was and arguably still is completely up for grabs this offseason. Pittsburgh already folded. The Reds actually are pretty good. The Reds will be, you know, whoever ends up being third, the Reds won't be very far behind them in fourth if they can just have a little bit of improvement from these starting pitchers that were terrible. But, I mean, Milwaukee's gotten a lot better because they're going for it. They see the opportunity to be first because the Cubs have let too many pieces fall apart and have not focused on their pitching enough. Now, I know that's changed with the addition of Darvish. That bought them a small window. But Lester was not good last year. And no. Darvish Darvish wasn't much better than Arietta. So what they've done is they've replaced Arietta with Darvish. They've brought in Chatwood, who I know people were high on, but has never really been that good in his career. Um, so, I mean, they're starting pitching. By the way, they still have an open spot. I guess they're going to let Mike Montgomery take a shot at that. The guy's never yep. shown the ability to, be, to have sustained success as a starter. So the Pittsburgh folded – um, you know, the Reds are probably going to be bad, but, they, you know, they've got some good pieces. It's Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Chicago, and they said, hey, who wants it? And so far, Milwaukee has shown they want it the most, and the Cubs have just sort of coasted and added a couple of pieces. And the Cardinals added a big piece early, looked like they were building momentum to taking the division and saying, hey, this is our town again. And instead, they backed off. And they didn't spend any money. For the life of me, I don't know why. They're, they're stockpiling both things, which is, which is the paradigm that Larry really presses on with his point. It's not just that free agents cost a lot of money and they're on the decline and all of those things. But it's that you have a ton of money to spend. You're spending less than last year. And, oh, by the way, you're blocking some of your young guys with these two-year dinky deals on backup guys, really, or unproven guys. And you have a stockpile and a a stopgag of young pitchers that you could use in a trade because not everybody could pitch. You've got too many guys that are coveted by other teams, and not all of them can play for your team. You've shown that through your, your current activities in the free agent and trade market, and also you've shown that by uh, not giving certain guys opportunities. So they, they have to do something with some of these guys. The starting pitching problem for the Cardinals, having so many high-end starting pitchers about ready to go, is similar to the outfield crunch that the Cardinals are still arguably experiencing, even after getting rid of Grichik and Piscotti. There's still an overabundance of outfielders. So we've got this problem. Yeah, yeah, and and Sierra, thank you. So you've got this problem where you're not willing to trade certain guys. They're blocked at the major league level, and you're not willing to spend money on on guys 
to, to make additions. Instead, you're spending small amounts of money on marginal improvements. I joked the other day when the Cubs signed Darvish, Twitter freaked out a little bit. Everybody was saying, what are the Cardinals going to do to reciprocate? And then, we, and then we signed Bud Norris. And someone <laughs> said something to the effect of, when the Cubs signed Darvish, their projected wins increased by you know somewhere between two and four projected wins uh, by the Pocota projections. And I said, well, we had to have gained some ground by signing Bud Norris. Obviously, I was joking. And obviously, our projections <laughs> did not improve uh, by signing Bud Norris. But it just goes to show you, uh, two to three win improvement on this team can make the difference between winning the division or not. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think this team is good enough to win a wild card. I think that Colorado and Arizona are both very good. Um, I think the Mets, just because they play in a division where they're almost guaranteed 19 wins against the Braves and 19 wins against the Marlins, uh, you know, I think the Mets are going to be a lot better this year. And the National League wildcard race will be as contentious this coming season as the AL wildcard race was last season. So for everybody saying this is a 90-win team that can make the wildcard, well, I have my doubts as to whether it's a 90-win team, and I have even bigger doubts as to us making the wild card because we have to pit, play the Cubs and the Brewers 38 times next year. We have to pit, play a Reds team that's getting better and still has Joey Votto mashing in the middle 19 times next year. And we, we historically don't beat up on the Pirates even when we should. So our division is a lot tougher even in the dumbed-down, you know, sell-high version that we currently see ourselves in. So the team had a chance to go for a win of the division, and frankly, they didn't spend the money or the prospects to do it. And that, that's where we are today. And, you know, I want to ask this to both of you because we've sort of talked about this in all of these responses. What's interesting about the role of a GM or a president of baseball operations, because I'm not really sure who's in control anymore, is – I, I find myself wondering, did Mosaic, in watching the moves that happened last year at the trade deadline and after the waiver wire, if, if part of the long-range plan has to do more with what the Cardinals may do during the season than what they do coming out of the gate? What do you guys think about that? I, I think that's a perilous, perilous game. I, I, I think if if you're not making the moves in the off season um, to make yourself a true competitor for the division, then by definition you're going to be mired among many more teams who are competing for a first or second wild card spot. Once you're once you're in that muck, man then luck plays a much bigger role. So you can, you can tell yourself, you know, that, oh, if we're competitive, we'll make the move in the middle of the season. But you may not be there in the middle of the season, and the wins at the beginning of the season are just, just as important as the wins at the end of the season. So I think it's a, a very bad strategy. I think if you're a team like the Houston Astros last year who are expected to be very, very good, um, and then they wanted to fortify to make sure, in other words, at the end, 
at the trade deadline by adding Verlander. That's a more sensible play to me. But but the play that, oh, we're going to be able to distance, separate ourselves from from the pack of six or seven folks, you know, with an acquisition, when in fact those guys may well be looking at making similar acquisitions, I think is, is very, very faulty logic. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Well, uh, I, I think the best point you made is, is the right one, and that is you don't use the trade deadline to push yourself over the hump from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs. I know that right. that has happened in the past, and that has worked for some teams. I understand, like when the Mets got Cespedes is probably the best example of that, right? They probably yep. weren't going to make the playoffs, and then he single-handedly willed them to the playoffs, uh, and they made a crazy run. But you do take a team that is poised to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season and improve that team and make that team great and set them up to make a run at the World Series at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way you have to go about it because the, the other contingency is too risky, and that's what Larry's getting at. Um, it's, it's, it's just way too risky. You would never, as a business person, do that. So if we assume during the offseason that the owners, are act, owners and GMs and presidents of operations are acting as shrewd business people, they don't stop doing that during the season. Uh, they want to mitigate all the risk that they can. And so I, I'm with Larry that you would only push yourself over the hump by making your team great, not good, or making them a World Series contender, not just a playoff contender. But what do you think, Doc? Well, listen, I agree with both of you entirely. But I, I, was, I just find myself wondering if we have some people suggesting that type of move because of the number of question marks that are, that sit within the St. Louis Cardinals organization currently. Guys, let's take one last break. When we come back, I want to do some rapid fire here at the end to try to cover up some of the rest of the agenda that we had hoped to get through. If you're listening, we want to say thank you so much. Um, welcome to second season of the official Redbird Ranch podcast. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but you are listening to us here on Blog Talk Radio, and we will be right back. Thanks for sticking with us. You are listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode one of season two. That's right. We have made it to a second season. We were renewed as it is in the television world. Luckily, that was not something that had to happen to us because we may not have been renewed. But we are so glad to be here, (laughs) glad to talk about the Cardinals. And, guys, let's do this. I'm going to toss out to you a couple of names, and I'd like you just to respond, react to those names. Tell me where you think will be in the 2018 season and what their role will be for the St. Louis Cardinals. And let's actually start with a big, hot and heavy one. Let's start with Alex Reyes and start with you, Larry. Um, I think Alex Reyes will be a bullpen pitcher um, at the beginning, I think, for several reasons. One, to make sure his arm is strong enough. And second, because if they need him at the end of the season as a, as a part of their rotation, that they won't suffer from the issues that, that some teams have, like Washington with Steven Strasburg the first time around, in terms of whether you have somebody, you know, um, available at the end of the season or whether they've pitched too many innings. So so um, I think they're being fluid in, in this. I think they're making the very right move. Um, I think they're being flexible on what his role will be based on what his, his health and his comeback is. 
And I think that's the right thing to do. I, I'm sorry, I, it broke up for me. What what what'd you say? I said I, I don't know how much of it you heard. I said I think very much that they're doing the right thing by being flexible with Reyes, starting in the bullpen, seeing how he progresses, not making the decision yet, and having him have enough of an arm left at the end of the season so that if they need him as a starter, he's ready to go. Yeah, completely agree. What do you think, Dan? Well, he's going to be a reliever all year. I don't think he's going to start at all. I actually think as far as the starter's depth chart goes, he's been leapfrogged by Jack Flaherty. I don't necessarily think that's fair because he's injured. And do you guys remember when he started against the Cubs when he first came up in Wrigley? Yep. He was dominant. I mean, it was crazy. My dad was actually up here visiting me in Chicago, and he and I were watching the game in a Cubs bar. And we were being obnoxious assholes uh, whenever, whenever he was starting and just dominating. I was like, get used to this. You're going to have this for six-plus years. <laughs> and, he, you know, he, he was dominant. But I don't – I actually think the most two likely scenarios for him is he pitches out of the bullpen. In fact, the Cardinals have set him up to pitch out of the bullpen given their weak moves uh, to fortify the bullpen. Or, secondly, to Doc's point about a midseason acquisition, he may be traded. Uh, depending on what we need and, and how far they're willing to go, I could see those two scenarios actually being more likely than him starting this year. Interesting. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I, I hope he's not traded, but at the same time, talk to me when we get closer to the trade deadline, and I may, might be okay with him going. Um, here's another name, Luke Gregerson, Dan. He will be the eighth inning guy. That's where it's going to be at the end of the season. He may he may get a chance to close at the at the start, but I think he's been best when he's set up the closer, and oftentimes that ends up being a weak position. I think he'll fortify that, and I think he'll be good in that role. Larry, I don't think Reyes will be traded. So if what Dan says is true about Reyes not starting this year then I could see, depending on whether the Cardinals get somebody or don't get somebody to close, I could see Reyes being the eighth or the ninth inning guy. Um, now, since I think he'll be starting, he could be starting by the end of the year. I don't want to I don't want to uh, commit to uh, him being there in those late innings. But I think Gregerson will, in fact, be seventh or eighth inning uh, pitcher by the end of the season probably even by the middle of the season at the latest. I hear you. I, I think that he may serve more time in, in the closing role than anybody else, but uh, I, I think that he'd serve very well as an eighth inning. I think you guys are onto something there, and, I mean, that's a, a great space that that the Cardinals have lacked in, in years past. Uh, next name up is Tyler Lyons. Larry. Oh, this one is really tough. This guy, this guy is a victim of his malleability. I mean, you know what? I'm not sure what it is exactly he needs to do to secure a specific spot, and it's because he has filled every spot that he may be asked to fill every spot. Um, I think they love having his flexibility, um, you know, to you know come in and spell a starter to come in and um, keep the game steady in the middle innings to get a reliever who's having a bad day 
out of a jam um, in, in the later innings. Um, I think he'll keep that role. Um, I don't think he will get a regular spot in the rotation. I know some people talked about him being the ninth inning guy. One of our, I don't remember if it was you, Dan, or someone else talking about him being a ninth inning guy. I don't see that being the, um, the ultimate role for him. I think he's a jack of all trades because of his success at, at all of them, and I think that's where he will stay. Dan? Larry, you said something, victim of his own, what was it? Malleability. Oh, yeah, that's right, his own manager. He's a victim of his own manager. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's better. Play on the uh, M word there. Uh, Matheny doesn't know how to use Lions, and he doesn't trust him. That being said, my prediction as to where he will, you know, where his role will land uh, on this team this year my answer is the often overlooked, super unpopular, but also really predictably true, the disabled list. That's where <laughs> Lions will spend a lot of the year. Unfortunately, the guy I think is really good and can do just about anything except stay healthy. And we saw those wow. problems here. We've seen them for his entire career. And frankly, he hasn't shown that he can stay off the disabled list. So that's my prediction for Tyler Lyons, although I hate to see it. If he were healthy, I think he would be a great eighth-inning guy or even even the ninth-inning guy. I like the look from the left-hand side. He has the best spin rate on his slider of almost any pitcher on any pitch in the entire major leagues. Check the stats from last year. Ding, ding, ding. ding. In terms of winning points, Dan just won a huge amount with the statement talking about the slider. And, Larry, you lost a lot of points when you failed to identify the fact that I wrote about Tyler Lyons being a, <laughs> a closing option. So let's I mean, Sam, you the wrong M word. He used the wrong M word. Yeah, double so, M. Listen, double M wrote the article. That's right. My prediction on Lions is he's your closer. And and to your point, Dan, him being the closer may actually be the thing that saves him and keeps him off the disabled list. And also to your point, Dan, his slider is killer. And if he can continue to master that slider, you're going to have people Randall Gritchicking all over the place, meaning swinging over the top of the slider, which was Randall's patent move. And that's what's going to happen for the Cardinals when he's able to close. And I see that <laughs> happening. So, I mean, imagine a Luke Gregerson in the eighth inning, and imagine a good Luke Gregerson there. And then imagine a left-handed closer in Tyler Lyons who can throw some heat but also can confound pit, uh, batters with that running slider. What an outstanding change to the end of the game, and I'm excited for that. Okay, guys, let's go with one more interesting name, Bud Norris. Uh, Larry. I have no clue. I mean, I'll admit it. Even if I lose more points, I don't care. This is a guy, <laughs> you know, who who possibly is fluid in terms of, of, of uh, starter or reliever, but I'll tell you, this guy wants a lot of a lot of batters, and this guy, if that came with the kind of uh, hits per nine rate that, say, Trevor had, right, Trevor was often in the sevens or low eights, I would say, yeah, the sky's the limit. But it hasn't been. I went back and looked at his hits per nine, and, you know, they're in the eights, you know, or the nines. He just isn't fantastic at, at 
at keeping guys from getting base hits. So when you combine that, you know, with the walk rate, you're at about a 1.4 whip. I, it's too risky for me at the end of the game. Um, and he's been up and down and inconsistent as a starter. So that's why I say, you know, ding me on the points, but I have no clue. Dan. I actually think the guy is going to have a great spring, and it's going to make a really tough decision between uh, him and Miles Mykolas as to who should be (laughs) the fifth starter. I actually think he'll compete for it. But I equally could see the possibility of him being Jonathan Broxton this year. He's, He's the guy, the veteran, tiny contract, who, you know, has had glimpses of good pitching but mostly been awful, that could be cut. And the Cardinals could put their foot in their mouth again and say, okay, we messed up, this is not working out. So I could see equally, I could see him cracking the rotation, shockingly, that which shows you what I think about our rotation right now. But I could also see him being cut if, if he doesn't perform early in the season. And then we might be able to see Edward Mujica get called up, which would be fun. Yeah, we kept, we forget about that. I, you know, listen, I have to tell you that Dan earned even more points just by saying that Bud Norris is going to get cut. Um, because I, while I wrote about him being, and I predicted him being picked up, I more so predict that he won't make it out of spring training. <laughs> now, that yeah. being said, I, I believe that he was picked up because the Cardinals love a reclamation piece, and he is the reclamation piece this spring training. He's the one that we can use as subterfuge to hide away all the other stories we don't want the press to talk about. So, in other <laughs> words, if Adam Wainwright's showing a bit of his age, well, we can quickly spin the story around and talk about, well, we have got all these great reclamation pieces of the, the likes that the Cardinals haven't seen since Dave Duncan. And so <laughs> what a way – to run some smokescreen in the form of Bud Norris. And I think that's really exciting. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Dan, to your point, I would love for him to crack spring training in the rotation. I would love for him to uh, serve as the sixth starter. And, you know, I, I was reading on uh, Twitter the other day that someone has suggested that the Cardinals should think of a sixth starting rotation, meaning that the Mykolas and the Norris pulling up the rear and being able to spell, you know, a longer relief with a couple of the guys like Wainwright getting to skip some starts here and there. And God forbid Waka doesn't come back with any kind of force, then you have an opportunity with a six man rotation of doing some creative work. So fellas, to wrap it up, there's just one last really name that I wanted us to talk about. And I just really want to hear your reactions to them or to this name. And, And that is Mike Maddox. Uh, you know, I kind of teased at the beginning that I think he's one of the biggest pickups of the offseason, but I really would like to hear you, your reaction to what we've learned in the last couple of days about Maddox, the autonomy that he has been given, changes he has already made to the spring training schedule for the pitchers and catchers. Dan, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on Mike Maddox? Well, I I just like that he's taking a different approach. I also like that the team is giving him every opportunity to either succeed or fail. And that's what we will see. Uh, You you mentioned the word autonomy. That's a good word for the situation that Mike Maddox is in. And we're really going to get a chance, which you don't often get on major league staffs, because this part of the dynamic is not usually publicly available. 
But we do understand that Maddox has a lot of autonomy and that he will have responsibilities independent of Mike Matheny's decision making. And that, that's very interesting. That gives us a good case study of the effectiveness of a, of a pitching coach. Now, we won't know for sure if the struggles or successes of various pitchers are due in part to Maddox or Eversgard or improvements of the pitchers themselves, um, but we'll have a little bit more evidence that the pitching coach has something to do with it. And so I'm really interested, uh, you know, by means of social experiment to see how this plays out. What do you think, Larry? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, break the rules like I usually do, especially because Michael, <laughs> Michael won't any damn points anyway, so it just doesn't matter. So I, I think what, what we see now is the, um, you know, basically the mosaicization of the pitching of the of the uh, coaching staff, right? With the uh, with the uh, inexplicable retention of John Mabry, uh, with the exception of that, you know, this 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 uh, coaching staff has been rebuilt. And, and it's been rebuilt because of talent in the organization, and it's been rebuilt because Mike Matheny's basically been given the message that he's the only one remaining who can go if things don't go well. You know, and the sign, and I think it's a very good sign that they brought somebody on board who is experienced, who is tough, who has his own way of doing things, you know, who really Matheny cannot, in my opinion, injure because if he does try and injure him, Maddox will just say, that's fine. I don't need this job. You know, um, take this job and you know what. So so I like that Maddox, uh, you know, has joined the team as another independent voice um, that that will hopefully, um, hopefully Matheny-proof the pitching staff uh, as much as he possibly can. You know, it's funny because, in all honesty, I think Larry just won the entire episode. Um, <laughs> well, in, only because I was stoking the point, you, Michael. <laughs> well, but no, and all joking aside, I, I think, and both of you talked about the importance of Mike Maddox and his autonomy is that I think when Mosaic and, and Gersh looked at last year's performance, they really felt like, hey, the, the the pitching and the bullpen was a mess, and leaving it to Matheny to to manage that is a disaster. And that Lilliquist, um, while a nice guy and a great pitching coach, he was not a strong enough man to stand up against Matheny, and. So what they did was they essentially denutted Mike Matheny in terms of the mm-hmm. pitching side of things. <laughs> and they allowed him to keep his, his love child in, um, in Mabry. And ultimately, if the pitching improves this year, the Cardinals organization does not care who or why. If it improves this year, they immediately have a reason to fire Mike Matheny. Because then they can say, when we took away your ability to manage a piece of the puzzle, we saw success. Therefore, we must take away your ability to manage the other pieces as well. And that's what we have set up. That's what both of you have really sort of hinted at, but, but Larry said it more, um, more clearly. So I'm going to let him win the, the episode. But it was a very close one. I'm going to say it like came down to half of a point. So Dan took everything except for the very last, and he let Larry <laughs> come and just steal, steal it away from him. 
Well, guys, no. listen, thank, thank you both for joining me on this, our first episode of the second season. I, I, right before we got started, um, Dan, you and I were talking, and you, you said what I have been wanting to say for so long. It is good to be back, and, and this has been too long in coming. Um, so, again, thank you. Uh, what I'm going to do is give each of you an opportunity to just have one last word as we find ourselves going out. So let's start with you, Dan, since you did not win the episode. <laughs> let's just say that as many times as we can. If we all said it together, it might really sink in. Uh, <laughs> so my, my final thought, if you will, is that the Cardinals have a collection, a panoply, if you will, of very good but not great players. Um, I think the team is very good but not great. That makes our team much like, in my opinion, the San Francisco Giants. Different end of the spectrum in that our players are mainly younger and theirs are mainly older. But I think on the the ultimate conclusion, we're going to be about the same. A very good team but not enough great players to really compete as it stands unless somebody emerges in a big, big way. Um, So that's my final thought. I'm interested to see how that plays out over the course of the season, and I'm excited to talk Cardinals baseball with you guys all year. All right, Larry, you get a little bit extra time. Uh, Not really. So tell us your final thought. And lose my lead, but the the, the, – look, we're all all at heart, we're all – first and foremost fans, right? And and we want to see the team can, uh, compete and compete well. And, and so I don't want to be right in my assessment about what management's doing. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, the problem I have this year, though, is many, many baseball experts and many, many ways of analyzing the team have come up more like us than have come up like management. So it's not just us as fans. It's baseball perspectives. And it's the John Hammonds of the world and the Ken Rosenthal's of the world. You know, and, and when I listen to MLB radio a lot, and, and the same themes keep coming up. Casey Stern, it's like, I don't understand what they've done. Why have they taken this approach in the offseason? So, so it's been very disheartening. It's been, it's been depressing for MLB overall to be the way it's been, and then it's been depressing for the Cardinals on top of that. Very glad to see Marcelo Zuna come to St. Louis. I do. We didn't talk about it. I do expect to see him sign a, a long-term extension on that contract, uh, and I will be very excited when he does. Um, but I want to be proven wrong, and I want to I want to see that Gerson Moselec knows something that apparently the rest of the baseball world aren't seeing. You know, with you saying that last statement, I think that you just leveled the playing field. I had to take some points away. So the two of you have ended this episode tied. Congratulations, Dan, for making that valiant comeback at the end. Um, I'm Sean and it White. Was also, and it, it, was also, it was also very good to hear Larry admit that he listens to um, – other podcasts and other radios on his Mentrola. Um, and that's just always good to know that you're still dusting that old bird off. I have to crank it up real so, hard. Well, I, I would imagine, I would imagine. Uh, so guys, thanks again for doing episode one. Uh, to all of our listeners, remember that we at Redbird Rants, you can find us at redbirdrants.com. We have articles all the time, multiple articles a day follow all the stuff there once the season gets kicked off we will have game recaps 
after every game or after every series. So be sure to look out for those. Be sure to continue to join us every Thursday night for our weekly live podcast that you can listen to through Blog Talk Radio. And again, all of this information, all of these guys can be found at RedbirdRants.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Go Cardinals. Good night. Go Cardinals.